and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. We come to you once again from a familiar refrain. We're in quarantine. Not really quarantine. We're sheltering in place as much as possible. Just like you. Hi out there in your homes, hopefully. How's your week been? Um, sheltered. How's your week been? Same. Okay, there we are. <laughs> so this week we watched just the visual treat. Uh, we took in Dreamcatcher from 2003. Before we get into Dreamcatcher, I do want to say real quick, um, we were next up chronologically between uh-huh. Carrie and Dreamcatcher was the beginning of the series of The Dead Zone. Okay. Which ran, what, seven seasons, five or seven seasons, uh, and that you've never seen. Right. And we just opted to skip it. Um the one of the reasons was because it was just too much to tackle. I think right, in exactly. in the confines of this, we're doing miniseries, and um, we have talked about television, and we will talk about television series mm-hmm. again. Uh, but this was, you know, a, over a hundred episodes. It's just there was too too much. too many episodes. There was too much to cover. It had the characters from the story, mm-hmm. uh, and we will be covering things like Kingdom Hospital. Yes, but this was a show that kind of. Um, dilated off of a, a material that we'd already done. Yes. And it wasn't written or supervised by Stephen King. No. It was a long series based on the characters that he'd written. Although uh, the plot of the book does appear within yes. the series, but not in a way where I could have been like, well, let's watch like the pilot and the final episode. Yes. That just wouldn't have worked with the, the amount of story time that stretched in between also for some reason with amazon prime we get we have access to every season but the first for free oh that's strange so uh we would have had to pay for the entire first season to watch the first pilot which it just didn't it just didn't make sense it didn't make sense so who knows we might come back and do a dead zone podcast one day but that is not today so i but i wanted to mention it because it is chronologically what would have been next so instead we got to skip right to this gem that's a, a very polite word for it Dreamcatcher. it has one of my favorite covers of a stephen king book okay. i really like the we're down to the, that <laughs> it's really... kind of like when you're at a, a writing mm-hmm. um workshop and somebody says they like your font yes it's Means that you're it's lovely in font. Trouble. I like your spicing, your spacing on the page. Um, oh, is this papyrus? Great! Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I actually papyrus. knew somebody who submitted papyrus for a story, and I felt like well, this is lovely. It feels like I'm reading, uh, you know, a prop from a medieval manuscript or a mi- I film loved about papyrus in my in my graphic com- communications classes in 2001. Really? But it is not 2001. <laughs> No. Uh, so this movie has one of the better casts that we will see in in a Stephen King film, uh, and we'll start with the writer, the writers, the writers are William mm-hmm. Goldman and Lawrence Kasdan. How, how do we know them, Lemuel? <laughs> They've both done much better things. Yes. Well, William Goldman has written several Stephen King adaptations, which pretty wild but he is known i guess a lot having his name on there is um pretty special because apparently what he does is punches up 
every script in Hollywood. That's where he uh, sort of shines. That's where he gets, that's his bread and butter is punch a ho- uh, script punch up. But he's also written things like The Princess Bride. All the President's Men uh, is a good example. There's like a very long list. The Princess Bride is what he's most famous for. And he wrote the book too. Mm-hmm. Um, a Magic, Marathon Man, No Way to Treat a Lady. Magic? Yeah. Uh, that Soldier in the Rain. These are all ones that I'm very familiar with. And um, so he's a very talented and gifted writer, but I remember his, and this is so funny, is seeing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid taught to me in a screenwriting class mm-hmm. as an example of how you write a modern screenplay. Right. Um, and how you sell a modern screenplay. Yeah. So. And yeah, so yeah, he, he's got skills, but I, we don't know where they went for this. Well, he'd this written one. Misery, he'd written Hearts of Atlantis, which is a very touching kind of film. And he the, wrote the screenplay for the, the Stepford Wives, which yes. is brilliant. So where that talent went, along with Lawrence Cashton. And why do we know him? <laughs> Star Wars, mostly. Um, no. He's no, mostly known for Star Wars, isn't he? Isn't it not Star Wars? It's Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. Let me double check this. I thought he did Empire Strikes Back. Yes, he did Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. That's true. I don't <laughs> think of those as like... Oh. I those are know. two of the three biggies from the Star Wars original franchise. Well, he wrote <laughs> uh, the, um, the stuff with Leigh Brackett for the Empire Strikes Back, which is why it has that very Humphrey Bogart kind of feel. This was an, a veteran screenwriter. He's talking to me about a film I've never seen. Right, but Lance <laughs> Cashton did some wonderful stuff. Yeah, Raiders, and then uh, things like The Bodyguard, and... Let me see if I can find a better Star list Wars of things. stuff. <laughs> a lot of Star um, Wars stuff in his writing. Right. He he directed The Big Chill, uh-huh. a movie I have not seen. Which is a movie I have seen, and yes, it is very much kind of, um, it's worth the, the recognition it gets. Body Heat, which is the film that introduces to Kathleen Turner and William Hurt together. Uh, William Hurt was a favorite of his, I guess, for a while. Silverado, which is one of the most uh, enjoyable kind of popcorn westerns that yeah. ever got made. Yeah. He, did a, he did a lot of great work. Um, he's so familiar looking to me. Like, I feel like I've seen him in a lot of documentaries about movies. <laughs> yes. Well, because he has a great connection to a lot of films and a lot of important people. Like we were, uh, talked about him writing the screenplay, co-writing the screenplay uh, to the Empire Strikes Back with Ali Brackett. Um, but, and th- this is what makes this film so disappointing to me is if it had been made by the people who did Troma Studios, famous for producing Toxic Avenger, or Full Moon Studios, you know, one of these sort of knockoff companies, it would not have been disappointing to see that. But to see these two names on a movie about a ship monster... It's not about a a ship ship monster. monster. And a movie that has incredibly... This is where, and we'll get into that, Stephen King's problematic... Ideas about yeah. people with physical health issues, the hand, uh, the magic capped people that we've talked yes. about. Yes, so the disabled as right. magical, yes. As magical, yeah. supernatural, alien. And this, this is pretty much the pinnacle of it right. here. Right, I don't think, yeah, it was still tolerable as um, the Green Mile. Right, yeah, this one, 
Like, I would love to see a remake of this thing, but I do not think that here in the year of our Lord 2020, mm. you can yeah. make a movie with Duddits as written. I just don't think it's possible. Well, I, don't, I think this is a project of its time, and it was on the outside of that. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this before. I went, uh, I got to see Clive Barker give a lecture on writing and filmmaking once. And somebody from the audience asked the question about the film Freaks, which he was very fond of. It was uh-huh. in the 1930s. That's One of Us, One of Us, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's a film that featured actual circus performers um, playing uh, characters from a sideshow. Now, he said that he really admired that film, but he knew you could never redo it or remake it as a director himself. Right. Because the attraction of that film was that these were real circus performers. Mind you, when American Horror Story did a similar thing, they hired actors to play those characters, and still at the same time... But a lot of them... They were in makeup. uh, Some of them. Some of them weren't. Some of them... They used actual little right. people. They used but actual there, people with amputations and things like that. You're on a line there about what's in incredibly bad taste. And I think that this film really, in many ways, just crosses that line. Um, yes, this this film, this story definitely crosses that line. Yeah, it's just, in, in, it's in like, many ways, it's just really bad taste on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we should say that the the novel was published two years before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written after his accident, Stephen King's accident. Mm-hmm. So he was uh, it, he wrote it in cursive, longhand, right, uh, on a shit ton of oxycontin because he was in a significant. I mean, he. Have we talked about the car accident and what he went no, through? No, we haven't discussed the car accident yet, and maybe this is the appropriate time to mention it. Yeah, because I think I, so, I because everything believe, else I think had been written well before yeah, it. I honestly believe that this is, as you're saying, a production that came out of Oh, yes. Yeah, the accident. This, he wouldn't have written this with not without being the state, I think, that he yeah, was in okay. at that point. So June 19th, 1999, he was walking uh, on the shoulder of... Uh, Main State Route 5 in Lovell, mm-hmm. Maine. Uh, he was struck, I believe, he, from behind mm-hmm. from where he was walking. So he's walking down the street, and the van struck him from behind uh, and was flung 14 feet into mm-hmm. the ditch, uh, like a depression in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... The driver was probably not speeding, reckless, or drinking. What he was was distracted. Uh, this is a, the story about the dog, he, right? Yes. He said that the dog was trying to get to his Mars's bars. <laughs> and so he was trying to wave off his dogs behind him and was not looking at the road and thus struck Stephen King. Now, I remember when this happened, I was at home. CNN was on. And there was a Chiron that just said Stephen King struck by van in intensive care or something like that. And I was like, tell me more. And this was not at a time when news was moving very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it was a long time before we were like, is he going to be okay? Yes, I remember that day. Um, He ended up suffering. Oh, his injuries included a collapsed right lung, multiple fractures of his right leg, scalp laceration, and a broken hip. 
He was in the hospital for nearly a month. His leg bones were so shattered that they initially considered amputating his leg, but they were able to uh, stabilize him, and he mm-hmm. didn't get any infections. That probably would have right. sealed the deal for an amputation. After five operations in 10 days and physical therapy, he resumed work in July. Um, he was working on on writing at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his hip was still shattered, and he could only sit for about 40 minutes at a time before ta- the pain became unbearable. So this was written, you know, released in 2001, written in six months. So it was basically the next yeah. thing that he started writing. The body horror in it, I think, very much comes from somebody I, yeah. from a, who is, was confined to a hospital this bed. This is something that uh, I thought when, because this was one of the books that I started reading uh, and never quite finished. Possibly when I got to the part involving fecal matter everywhere. I am germaphobic, to be perfectly honest. There, um, I don't remember it, there being any fecal matter at all. It's all blood, but it's coming from the In the story, rectum. there's just a long set of passages in with that character. And um, the character, I forget his name, who is the person they rescue from Frostbite. Rick? Animals. I think. Yeah, I and it goes on about uh, his gas, the odor of his gas, the gas that's passing. Yeah, there is And then is there's that. a lot of just, it's it's pretty gross. But um, it really reminded me of, and another reason why it was uncomfortable for me, is spending time in a hospital. Yeah. yeah my, my dad was very ill around the same time, and the whole notion of changing colostomy bags and bedpans. Yes, yeah. And so when I understood that he wrote this while recovering, it sounds like a person who has to deal with their bodily waste in a way that they in are a not way that's embarrassing and it. almost shameful all yeah. the time. So it really felt that way, and it became a little bit too much. For yeah, me. especially if that said, if said person is also high, right? Right. So, but um, but yeah. So I had that feeling. It was just about kind of as you said, body horror that's related to a person who's viewing their own illness and their own bodily materials through a different lens now. Yeah. So let's get into the plot summary and. Uh, the, is- the issues. The issues, <laughs> the issues, yes. So the movie starts uh, where we are, we, we meet our four. Mm-hmm. Sort of, by telephone. We start with uh, a terrible therapist played by... Uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. I was almost want to call him Tim. Who, Thomas who's Jane. going to make another appearance in a vastly superior. Oh film. yeah, he comes back. He he likes Stephen. Sometimes King they come back to Stephen King. Although we're getting a bunch of not a bunch of repeats. We got a repeat in this one though. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Jane basically shames his patients. Uh, by basically telling him stuff that he should not know, because apparently they're all psychic a little in a, in certain ways. Uh-huh. So uh, Thomas Jane, that's what's his name? What's his character's name? Henry Devlin. Henry. He uh, basically calls out his patient on what his patient wants and scares his patient away. And I'm like, there's an element of fat shaming therapist. to this scene too. There. Well, the, because he's describing him as you're going to eat yourself to death, you're going to... Well, it's not fat shaming. Uh-huh. This character has come to talk about his obsession with food. Like, that is why he is in therapy. So it's not fat shaming. But what it is is moving a little faster than this character can... can, can this patient can take. And I'm like, 
So we have a character who's been psychic for nigh on these 20 years uh-huh. and is, in fact, a therapist and has no control over the words that he says to his patients. Like, what's going on? Are you okay, Thomas Jane? Uh, spoiler alert, he is not okay, because as soon as that patient leaves, he pulls out a gun and tries to shoot himself. He fails. He's also not good at that. Uh, He's an all-around failure, both as a therapist and as a suicidal person. Yes. And he gets a phone call from Jonesy. Uh, What's his full name? Uh, Gary Jones. Gary Jones, but everybody calls him Jonesy. This is played by Damian Lewis, our Irish... He's not Irish. I want him to be Irish, y'all, because he's redheaded. He's just British. He's just plain British. And he uh, says, hey, I've been thinking about that. It's you want to go visit him. And, and Henry's like, absolutely, let's do that. And then they hang up, and Jones, Jonesy goes outside and uh, is standing at the light and decides he needs to walk into traffic and is, in fact, struck by a white van. <laughs> so, whoops. I... I um... <laughs> I wonder where he got the idea. I wonder where he got the idea from. He does die. Uh, We see him sort of looking up at the EMTs. So we see EMTs, basically. And he does die twice, but he is brought back to life. And then, doodly, 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 six months later. Actually, we should say that Jones also talks to Beaver, uh, whose character's name is... Joe Clarendon. Joe Clarendon. But he goes by Beaver. This is uh, Jason Lee. I'm a fan of Jason Lee, so he's my favorite character in this. Spoiler, he dies first. Um, And he is saying, hey, be careful, Jonesy, be careful. And Jonesy's like, be careful of what? And uh, Beaver doesn't know. He just wants him to be careful. And so he, uh, yeah, so then we go deedly, 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 deedly. And we are at a cabin, and it is the four, four of our main characters. And those four are Henry, that's Thomas Jane's character, the psychiatrist who's a bad psychiatrist. It's Beaver, that's Jason Lee. He wears glasses and talks about sex a lot and his and, and farts, and he's apparently still 12. Uh, Jonesy, that's Damian Lewis, and Pete, Timothy Oliphant, who is good at finding things. We had seen a scene with him creepily finding this woman's car keys, although, frankly, it wasn't that creepy. He did not need to make it as creepy as it was. As it was, yes. And he he was trying to impress her so that he could ask her out, and he does, and... Um, but you can tell from the look on her face that she she has absolutely no desire to... Here's a fake phone number. Goodbye. But it's also like, he, he... you wanted him to make keys. He couldn't make keys that day. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'll help you find them. Because this woman has, while running errands, lost mm-hmm. her keys. Right. So she's only been to two places. It's probably not that hard to figure out where her keys are. <sighs> Although he does say, you picked up a candy bar, a Mars bar. And then we touch our nose. Because <laughs> we understand. And then he's like, he does a weird thing with his finger, which isn't that weird. But he says, don't freak out. It just helps me concentrate. And then he finds her keys. And then she's like, cool, cool, cool. Bye. Uh, That comes back later. And actually, I like the way that it's filmed. I think Uh it's cool looking. But um, all four of them are there. Uh, They've come to this cabin every year for 20 years. Uh, They, which is 
also wild. So they say that they've come to this cabin every year for 20 years. We also know that 20 years ago they were like 13. Mm -hmm. So whose cabin, like, was it one of their parents' cabins? Like, there's they a lot, used to come with family? There's I'm a confused. lot of um, unsaid story. Yeah. Now, this is the problem that I have Which with is, the story, I mean, even the description that you just gave. Yeah. It reminded me in a lot of ways of <clears throat> the superhero film Suicide Squad, where there were layers of flashbacks. And there's a, a whole character who's really central to the story who keeps getting revealed through dialogue, and then after we reveal them in dialogue, another set of flashbacks after that. And so it's there's just layers of, we're going to talk about Duddits, we're going to tell you all about Duddits, oh, all these interesting things about Duddits, then we get flashbacks of Duddits, then we get the current day Duddits. And so it's handled really clumsily for people, for you know screenwriters who are this talented. It is, although there's I There's no way of condensing this story in a way that, because the book is huge. The book is 620 pages. Right. There's no way of condensing this story into a two-hour, slightly over two-hour movie. I don't mind the flashback thing on Duddits, and here's why. Mm -hmm. As We know that they were planning on going to see Duddits six months ago, right before right. Jonesy had his accident. But then we find out, as they're getting into the cabin, uh -huh. that they haven't seen him in years. And they don't really know how many years. Like, they aren't as important as he is to them. And uh -huh. he is important to them. He's sort of made them who they are. Right. Well, he gave them the psychic powers. Um, which is how they really right. remain close and, and stay together. Um, he hasn't, like I said, they haven't seen him in years. And they cannot put a number on the number of years that they see him. And they do... He comes in as an adult. And he is extraordinarily sick. And they did not know it. <laughs> so, I mean, they. this is a neglected friendship. Mm -hmm. Although, whether or not that is on purpose, that, that it's said that on purpose, we don't know. I think that this is one of the problems I had with the film, was just the idea that, for one thing, it seemed like the guys should have been older. That was a feeling I had. Interesting, okay. I didn't really feel that guys at this age, given when the story is set, would be saying things like uh, referencing the Mighty Mouse song or some of the other uh, things that they did mention. It's like, this is kind of yeah. old for these guys. That is true. And I think that comes from Stephen King being... How old was Stephen King? when he? What, he's writing characters who would have been born in... 1970, right. as a man who was born in the mid-50s. Right, exactly. That's kind of what the yeah. feeling I got. I felt like these were the adult versions of the kids in Stand By Me. Yeah, that feels much. right. And Only so, they'd been moved in time 15 right. years. And right. so here they are just sort of mentioning or referencing a lot of things that seemed too old for them. Yes. And at the yeah. same time, things that also seemed about age-appropriate. I think the Scooby-Doo thing was probably a little bit more age-appropriate than some of the other stuff. Um, and also a lot of the, uh, the not just the references, but some of the wisecracks seemed almost like dad jokes. And looking at these like young dad actors. dad jokes and also like things that 13-year-olds right. say. Like they, and they all want to be Richie Tozier. Right. Like they are all trying to one-up each other. Right. There's not one that's like, I'm the cut-up. 
Yeah. It's Beaver. But really, it's all of them. They're all trying to get in on it. Right. Um, and then we find out that in that first, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while they're getting ready, we do see flashbacks of how they all met Duddits. And uh, his name is, his real name is Douglas Cavell. Oh, are we saying that he has Down syndrome? That's the impression I got from the... The um, I never got well. First portrayal. of all, they cast someone without Down syndrome, right. which, if you want me I, to believe I, that yeah. this character has Down syndrome, there uh, are tons of actors with Downs that you can cast for the kind of in 2001. There were cast, no, 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 I'm saying for the kind of part that they cast, I right. don't know if I'd want to see no, an actor with Down syndrome well, doing that's this. The thing. He doesn't present as having Down syndrome, right. The the ticks, the um, delayed speech, uh-huh. these are not yeah. typical sim- symptoms of that. Now, granted, here, spoiler alert, everyone, he does not have right, Down exactly. syndrome. He is an alien. Whoops, I gave away the very ending. Um, I think that's okay. So they find a bunch of... Bullies, Stephen King's patented bullies yeah. for no reason. We never see these guys again, so I don't care that they're bullies for no reason. Except that they have stripped this 11-year-old boy down to his Underwear. knickers mm-hmm. and are trying to get him to eat dog poo. What is wrong with boys? Well, is again, this a this thing is that boys do? Because the fraternity so, of greasers. We should drown all boys. He seems to like tone up, or turn up, rather. I'll use that term. The kind of nastiness that teen boys are capable of, because to like a twelve, right? We we see this all the time. It's they're like I I don't know how many sadists he knew growing up. So many, or just one. It's right. Unclear. I mean, so far we've seen even in Hearts of Atlantis, as yes. genteel as that was, rape and sexual assault. Yes. But in the case of the children, sexual assault between mm-hmm. children, we've seen. Um, in it, we've seen one character attempt to carve his initials into another. Yes, I I don't understand. Sometimes what... they come back. I right. mean, it's yeah. His I, yeah, I don't know. And the... I don't. I legitimately don't know anyone who's just straight up sadistic like this. Yeah, and, and maybe this is. And maybe I'm lucky. To... Maybe I've just let it charm. Like to maybe capture the is. kind of small town sadism that he's uh, that fits in with his characters, but I. I yeah, it's always a mystery to me why these people do what they do. Yeah. But we're treated to another confrontation scene very much like it. And I feel almost, I, I felt that uh, at times when I was watching this, that I was watching recycled scenes this does feel, from yes. a lot of his other material. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a scene from it. We're seeing a scene from Stand By Me. We're we seeing... also get some stuff that's Thomas Harris forward, which really? I will okay. get to. Yeah. Um, so they end up. Standing up to these bullies, I think there are three. It's three against four. Well, mm-hmm. five if you count Daddy. And uh, he, and they push him, push, and, th- and then they bring him home. Mm-hmm. And then they are, well, first they stop by to look in a window to see a picture of a, nu- a nudie picture pasted to the wall. Because, of course, we well, they they believe they, they came out there believing it was, it was a girl that, that went to their school. So stupid. And as it turns out later on, this was another it's fabrication. It's a sepia-toned right. <laughs> nonsense. A um, fabrication of, uh, I guess it was Duddits drawing them to rescue him at that point and 
the, the, the big surprise of this film is supposed to be that everything that they've experienced in life led them to the moment where they fight off the alien invasion. Right. Um, let's do all of the, the flashbacks, because okay. I think that, that makes sense. The, the next big flashback we get is presumably that summer when they're hanging out with Dudditz, uh, and they do keep referring to the school that he goes to as the Retard Academy. Right. I'm so sorry, everyone. Well, I, I do like the fact that one of the other kids smacks... Finally um, says, fucking beef. beaver, shut the right, hell up. Right, when he does that. So. But, like, it's an ongoing thing. And, yeah, they're talking about somebody who goes... Or, or right. like, hanging out with somebody who goes there. Uh, now, Duddits is um, slight and has uh, speech... Impediment of some kind. Impediment, yeah. He, he has trouble articulating. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like he has a problem comprehending yeah. or even getting you to understand what he's saying. It's just like a very significant, um, almost like baby talk. Yeah. And like he has trouble with certain consonants, maybe. It's, it's, it's not anything that is a thing. Like it's not, it doesn't mirror anything that is yeah. I've ever seen. I've, uh, it, it's almost like a stage affectation of what a person who's mentally handicapped does. Yeah. It's something you saw in a lot of old movies. Yeah. And it might just be pulled directly from the the lines in the book. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't do anything to change them. Uh, so they're, they're going to look for this girl who's gone missing. And they they know that if they all touch Duddits then they kind of know mm-hmm. more than their senses would tell them. Right. I guess is the best is the best way to say it. And they do end up finding this girl who is like in a in Who's a, similarly from the, the same school as Duddits, right? Right. No 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 I know. So I'm telling you I'm telling people where she is. She's right. like no, she's in a, a drainage, drainage ditch or something. Yeah. Um, and they do end up finding her and getting her out. Um, this is something they keep referring to called seeing the lion. Seeing the lion, yes. And I guess that they all at some point are It's really Pete that can do the visualization of right. it. They can all see it when he does it though. Yeah, and I think that Henry at the very end of the film is the one who carries on the ability to, with, you know, use right, it to... Right, because Pete does right. die. Two of these guys die. <laughs> two, two, two of them. Um, and they find the girl, but as they're doing it, it says, you know, we're saving the world. And, she, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we'll save the world later. And he says his version of Mr. Gray. Uh-huh. And they're, they're like, no, 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 it's this person right here. And they, like, kind of push that away. But they remember it because it comes back later. Yeah. Uh, and they do save this girl. So um, now back to now. They're on this hunting trip. Uh, the, the cabin is called Hole in the Wall. It's Isolated Lodge. Which is interesting because that's the same name as Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids' Hideout, oh, which was written by right. <laughs> William Goldman. Right. Um. I can't remember if it's also called that in the book because it's been a very long time. So they, while they're there, they are basically caught uh, in the middle of an alien invasion. <laughs> so there is happens. an army colonel, Abraham Kurtz. That would be a nod. Colonel Kurtz, yes. <laughs> I, again, now that you're mentioning the amount of medication he's on, all of this is making a great deal of sense. Yeah. So 
Kurtz is played by Morgan Freeman. So <laughs> hi, welcome back, Morgan Freeman. Right. Also, why are you Morgan Freeman? Because in the book, what does it say? If we cast this as a film, this character would be played by Christopher Walken. It's in the book, y'all. He literally wrote that in the the book book because he was high. And also, it's 2001, and his editors decided we don't need to do an editor. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Couldn't get Chris Walken, I guess, but they got Morgan Freeman. Which is interesting because I... some excellent eyebrows. The eyebrow makeup yes. in this movie is wild. <laughs> he, well, I think it was a good idea because it visually doesn't look like him anymore. No. He's able to very subtly change his appearance so much that you're not looking at him going, oh, there's more, oh, there's, there's, there's red. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking at something completely different. Now, mind you, what I did miss is that I believe the Colonel uh, Kurtz from the book was a, a fanatic. So there was a lot of... Uh, he would end every sentence with almost like evangelical rhetoric. Yeah. And that was completely taken out of the He was a fanatic film. in this too, but not in the same right. way. Uh, and his uh, second in command is Tom Sizemore, <sighs> who at times t- tells him that he's going a little crazy. And if Tom Sizemore ever tells <laughs> right. you that you are going a little too far... You have gone way the fuck too far. <laughs> it's a pity. Tom Sizemore is a very gifted actor. I love him. I really like him too, but As a he's performer. not. <laughs> he's not well at hundred <laughs> percent, right. or he's at one hundred and ten percent at all. Times. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I love him. I do love him, but like, it's wild for him to be the voice of reason. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, they split up. Jonesy and the be- and Beaver, I want to call him the Beave. Be- Jonesy and Beaver stay at the cabin while Pete and Henry go out for a supply run. Okay. Jones is up in the blind, which is way too close to the cabin, y'all. I'm like, is this the blind? It's like the blind is on top of the, the cabin. It's it literally looks like, yeah. like if you had a house and then you had a, a tree in your yard and you built a, a tree house in that. In inside of the tree that's yeah. inside of your yard, that is where the blind is. Is and my understanding about hunting is you want to get away from where people are. Not, right. <laughs> not well, they're way. also the laziest and possibly the most drunk hunters in the You're woods. So they're just going to drink beer, climb on the roof, and shoot things that pass you by. You are wrong. Uh, so he he's up in the blind and he goes to shoot a deer, but then he realizes that he has trained in his scanning uh-huh. to. Follow the deer he has trained on a human person. And he does not fire his his gun. Yay! Or boo! As it turns out. Yes. And he goes and they find Rick McCarthy. Uh, he's disoriented. He's delirious. He says he's been wandering since the day before. Um, he's clearly got something that looks like frostbite on his face. Right. But also like a red rash. And here's the thing. The red rash, the red stuff, the red Uh fuzz in this movie looks like endometrium. It looks like uterine lining. This movie could be visually called Endometriosis, the film. Uh, It's, it made my stomach hurt. (laughs) There were times watching this where I'm going, this is like a cross between... It's like a red moss. Well, like, yes. That's what it looks like. Visually, but... it was like a cross between, to me, Dario Argento mm-hmm. and David Cronenberg, like yeah. body horror and yeah. oversaturated color. Yeah, yeah. Now, as we've mentioned before, this is a harkening back to H.G. Wells and the red weeds in okay. War of the Worlds. Oh, yes. That 
you know, was a, a byproduct of the alien invasion. They brought this kind of weed fungus that grew everywhere like right. crazy. And we've seen a similar thing with Stephen King covered yeah. in moss. Yeah. It, was that Creepshow? It was in Creepshow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's happening. So he, they bring him in. They give him some soup. He farts uh, a lot. And is very and belches and is very apologetic, but clearly does not have full control Which led of his to situation. Probably the only line in the book that made me laugh. Uh. He smells like a cat smoke, uh, crawled up his ass and died of smoke inhalation. Ooh. That's very like country. <laughs> that's like bumpkin humor almost. Yeah. But, but for some reason, that was like, wow, that's, I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah. But yes, that's kind of where it starts. Uh, you were wonderful to me. Thank you for being such a good friend. Yes. And you told me when to look away when from the screen, away. which similarly you did for such amazing films as Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. And um, I do it for Transpotting too. Yes, you did. You can't watch the beginning of Transpotting. It's like yes, there was a Transpotting scene that I completely missed, and I'm I'm happy. Yeah, you got to come in like three minutes into that movie. I, you can't I, see the beginning of that movie. I wish that I had missed parts of Platform, because it's like oh, didn't yep. even see that. Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. So he excuses himself to go to the bathroom. And then after a while, they break the door down because they can't... Right. They're not getting any response from him. Uh-huh. Uh, he is dead on the toilet, but they hear something plop into the toilet. So Beaver's like, well, he's not dead because... And Josie is like, no, 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 he's fucking dead. And then he, the dude tips over, and we see that the, the, his... His backside has been uh, tunneled out. I was going to say blown out, but that's yeah. a good one too. And then there's a monster in the toilet, y'all, and Beef sits on it. He sits on the toilet. He with doesn't the lid sit on the down. monster. He, he sits on the lid of the toilet to uh, keep the lid down, and then Jonesy tries to go find something, tape, presumably, to tape it down. Okay. Okay, this is where the film to me takes a whole weird direction. Let um, me, let me, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break from them uh-huh. and we'll go out to Pete and Henry. Pete they and pick up their supplies, most of which is beer. Mm-hmm. Pete opens a beer right the fuck away and he goes, don't judge me, man. I don't drink out until after five out in the world, but I only drink like this up here. And Henry's like, I mean, you don't, have, I didn't say anything, so you don't really need to, you know come mm-hmm. at me like that, but my sense is that if you feel like you have to rationalize this, you might have a problem. It's not good. <laughs> Y'all, Pete has a problem, but he won't for long. Uh, and they end up getting in a car accident. What ends up happening? They end up getting in a car accident. Yeah, but like, I can't remember then, why, um, or like what causes the accident. As a woman in the road. Oh, it is. Okay. looks as if she's dying of frostbite. Okay. And they have questions about whether or not she's dead, and they're very angry at her. She's buried in the snow, though. Right. She's not just a woman in the road. She is buried... About hip deep, or she's squatting. More than that, I can't make out exactly what... See, this is a part of... We only see the top of her body. (laughs) This is the part of the story that gets very confusing for me, because at this point, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Um, and then they think she's dead, and, right. but she's not dead, but she is super delirious. Mm-hmm. And then later, it's clear that she is dead. Pete is surrounded by beer bottles. So right. he has drunk through like maybe a 12-pack at this point, right. and Henry has gone to go get help, right? Because right, exactly. they can't 
Yeah. So he's staying here and he's like talking at her. And then we see movement under the snow. And it's apparent that, that another one of these monsters has come out. It's a parasitic monster and it has now come out of her and is going to come out of the snow. Now, the monster is actually cool. I think it's cool. I think it looks good. I think it. I think they did a nice job with it. I don't think it's overly designed. I don't mm-hmm. think it looks like a cartoon. It certainly doesn't look like a sci-fi monster. It is like a wormy thing. It has little feet, um, and then its mouth opens sideways, it's, like a zipper. Right. And I think it's cool. I think it looks good. You didn't like it. Uh, what it is your problem with it? It looks like a phallus with a vaginal mouth. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of that. what it looks like. And there's, again, body horror. There's an awful... Yeah. This, it really is dipping into Cronenberg territory with weird phallic-shaped monsters. I and... don't... Here's the thing, though. Alien is also a phallic-shaped yes, monster. Absolutely. So this, that's it's, not... And I'm not saying that's wrong. Okay. It's just... It's very Giger-like. In that yes. It's, yeah. Horrible things that come it from inside. It reminded me of Alien. In yeah. fact, I think it did probably owe itself to that. But I, but I, And I think that the way that it was rendered looked good, uh-huh. though. It didn't yes. look like a shiny cartoon. I think it looked It was good. a world away from the Langleyers and uh, some of the other not-so-great monsters that we've seen in some of the films that we've seen. And this, we know, is the what the actual creature looks like. Mm-hmm. But it can make itself look different. Uh, so there's a tele- telepathy to these monsters. Um, back in the... Back at the cabin, uh, Beaver, <laughs> in trying, he's got a nervous habit of chewing on toothpicks, mm-hmm. and he's knocked them to the floor, and in trying to pick them up, and dude... Like the this whole room is now covered with this red fungus stuff. So and don't explosion touch anything. Whatever that guy was had inside of his body too. There's a yes. No, I don't. I I, don't, I, I think I, he exploded in downward. So I don't think I think all the red that you're seeing is just this fungus that came okay. from I, him, right. like uh, the sloughing off. I really don't think that it's you know his insides. I think that went into the toilet because he was sitting on the toilet at the time. Um, and he goes to try and reach this uh, toothpick, and I'm like, it's gonna have fungus on it. So meanwhile, don't put anything. Meanwhile, in your mouth. Gary is taking forever to He's find some forever. tape. It, that's, it becomes comical. A lot of this movie is unintentionally funny, I think. Yeah. And and the intentionally funny parts don't often register. Yeah. And it ends up that Beaver, Beaver dies. He ends right. up dying. And then. It's hard to tell exactly how it works. So Jonesy sees, like, he sees that Beaver's dead, and there's all of this this fungal spores, and then he turns and he sees this very tall mm-hmm. alien that looks like a gray alien, like the typical, mm-hmm. the stereotypical gray alien, which we have actually heard Colonel Kurtz <laughs> talk about how they project this Sort right. of helpless gray alien, fetal-looking image. Um, yeah, as like uh, into your mind, so that that is, so that you're not you don't you're not afraid of them. Right. But that's not what they really look like, and that's not what they really are. So he, we see this, and but he's huge. He's like seven or eight, eight feet tall. Eight feet tall. Yeah. He because yeah, Damien Lewis is not a small person, and mm-hmm. he's looking up, and right. it is standing in the doorway, and then it puts its weird shiny gray face in his face. And then it the head explodes, and then 
Jonesy breathes up all of the fungus. Y'all. And then you know what I said? What? He needs a cloth face mask. <laughs> it's better than nothing. <laughs> um, and at this point, he... We, we find out that Jonesy's sort of special telepathic thing is the mental warehouse. Yeah. Where it's a construct in his brain where he has he can actively file away memories and he yeah. has them in a very large set <laughs> well yes in a very large set but it's um it's a deliberate way that he's been able to um set up his the way that his brain works right. which is different than quote unquote normal people now this was used to great effect in the third uh, Hannibal Lecter book oh, in Hannibal, okay. uh, the Thomas Harris book. He half of that book takes place in Hannibal's. Now this is based on actual. Um, it was a memory trick a long yes. time ago. It was, uh, and I'm forgetting the, the the name of the person who used to use uh, mnemonics. Okay. To memorize certain events, and they would be categorized under like right certain ink, ways, right? It would recall things for him. So it, these mental palaces, these mental uh, buildings, um, I think this does a nice job of actually putting that on yes, the screen. Yes, and I remember when the film was reviewed by Roger Ebert, he this is the one part of the film that he said, yeah. this deserved a film all to itself. Right. We didn't need to see the rest of this. So presumably what would have happened if Jonesy did not have this situation uh-huh. is that he just would have been subsumed by Mr. Gray and then he would just be Mr. Gray. He would right. be... It, it's a parasitic thing, both physically in your bowels and uh, in your brain. Right. But he is able to lock his consciousness within his own mental house. Right. His mental warehouse, memory warehouse. And so he loses control of his body, but he doesn't die. <laughs> he's 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 trapped consciousness inside of his is brain. still inside there. Th- yeah. His body and I don't understand how this works is Possessed by yeah. Mr. Gray, who's English. He's English. He's got an English accent. Y'all. A really exaggerated English accent it's so done by bizarre. an Englishman. Damien Lewis is a, a British actor. Mm-hmm. He was born in England. He has, when he speaks normally, a British accent. Mr. Gray does not have that accent. He has a different accent. He has an accent that if you asked me to do a British accent is what I would come up with. It's wild. It sounds like Nigel Billingsley. What's that? The uh, actor most famous for welcoming you to Jumanji. Um, that's who it reminded me of. It had that same In sort of the... Jumanji films. Um, the original one or the new? No, there was no character like that in the original films. The, the, the video game character, the icon who welcomes you to Jumanji in the recent he said films. He, but he's New Zealand. I understand that. Okay. But that's the kind of exaggerated, that's what it reminded me of. Okay. This kind of overdone. Okay. Really. And again, not that accent, but no, no. That, that tone. The, considering that the actor himself is English, it's bizarre that he yes. went with this. Yeah, it's you know, so weird. Um, I. I and As if to say, mm-hmm. 
I am neither Jonesy nor Damian Lewis. I am a third party. <laughs> well, he, he um, there's another bizarre scene, which uh, I guess we're, we're, we can cover with uh, Pete, where uh, Pete is killed by the alien. Yeah. Right? Well, we were going to get back to that momentarily, okay, but well, sure, let's do that now. No. Nope. <laughs> Jonesy then goes on the run. We don't know where he's going yet. Right. That's fine. <laughs> now. What were you going to say about Pete? Well, we're back to Pete. So we find again, out this woman has also had this parasite, right. which comes up and attacks Pete. So Which yeah. bites him in the scrotum. It does. Why do these and things then go to your junk? onto the fire right. to burn off his scrotum. and Could be his dick. You don't know if it was a scrotum or his I, dick. I would like to think. I don't know. There's, just, it, there's a lot in this film that's in just really bad taste. Um... And this is the reason why, again, it felt like these people are supposed to be older. Pete sees him. Pete sees uh, Jonesy or Mr. Gray now. And it's, why are you talking English like the James Bonds? That just seemed like such an antiquated... Pete say that? I thought that was Henry. But okay. It was Pete, because Pete's dying, I think. Oh, okay. And I think... Oh my gosh, now you have me confused. I know. Um, but Pete is uh, Timothy Oliphant with bad hair, y'all. Because I bad don't hair. think that he's that, got like Caesar hair. It's weird. <laughs> I don't think that Henry sees him until later. No, but like we do flash to after Pete has had this incident, mm-hmm. and Jonesy has been taken over, and Beaver is dead. We go. We flash to Henry, okay, our Thomas Jane right. character, whose Spidey senses tell him, or his Peter Tingle. Pete's in trouble. There was Jonesy's been taken Peter over. Tingle. And right. uh, Beaver's dead. Like, he just knows all of like, these Oops, I'm having things. a really bad day. And then he ends up getting scooped by the army. By Owen Underhill. And uh, he's in a containment area. There's a quarantine. Yeah. Uh, the conflict between Owen Underhill and That's Tom uh, Sizemore's Colonel character. Kurtz, right? And Kurtz, yeah. It seems to be that Kurtz is fanatical after 20 years of hunting aliens. Yeah. About killing them all. Not just killing them all, but killing all of the people, people that they right. got caught in the quarantine And there's zone. a new theory that people who are exposed to the alien uh, matter can actually Get recover better. from it. Yeah. As we've learned about uh, Jonesy. Jonesy's able to resist it. Jo- well, not only that, mm-hmm. but I my, my concern for Jonesy wasn't that he was going to be taken over telepathically because right. we, we see that he saved himself from that. But if these spores also cause this alien to go into your gut and grow mm. and then burrow out, well, then he's screwed on two fronts, right? Yeah. But that's not what happens. He doesn't yeah. have the physical. He well, only has and, the and mental. The, and maybe you can explain how this goes uh, to me. Um, for some reason, despite the fact that he is a human being, he can turn into the alien and bite people. Because he does this to a state trooper yes. at one point in the film. and That's where this physiologically loses right. the thread. Because I was like, you can't... If that's Jonesy's body, and Jonesy then it's going to be Jonesy's body after that, he then, turns into a giant one of these aliens with the side-opening mouth right. and chomps a state trooper in half. Right. Or, or ranger or whatever right. the dude was. And I was like, no, 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 no. You can't do that because... He's still Jonesy. Physically, he's still Jonesy. Right. We don't ever talk about it. We never talk about it again. <laughs> um, so Mr. Gray is manipulating Jonesy's body and talking to him mm-hmm. in this wild accent. 
and understands that Duddits might be an enemy. Yeah. Uh, he understands that because he sees the powers that the others have, that they can follow the line. Mm-hmm. And when he realizes that that's going on, he thinks that this is now somebody who can expose his plan, which is to essentially germinate a water supply. Yes. Yeah, he's going up to a reservoir and he's going to basically infect what, like, all of... Boston? Boston or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Uh, and Henry is caught up in this quarantine. Uh, Tom Sizemore Owen has realizes that he, this dude is, um, like Kurtz is a- out of his mind and basically calls the general above him. Uh-huh. He basically goes over his head and and gets everybody to fucking come down a notch, except then Kurtz goes on a fucking rampage, right. takes out a bunch of planes and goes to kill all of the... Because there, there, what has happened is there's been a crash of a alien craft. Uh-huh. And he goes and mows them all down. I think that was the most effective scene to me in the entire movie. Yeah? Is the scene where the there's a group of, I guess they're Apache helicopters. Mm-hmm. They're bearing down on this crashed alien spaceship. And the aliens are telepathically communicating, we're harmless, don't hurt us. Yeah, they have the in gray children's voices on, or and women's then, voices. Yeah, right. and then literally they're saying, we're dying. Right. We need your help. Please don't hurt us. We're dying. We can't do anything. We're not going to hurt you. And meanwhile, they are not those gray things. They are right. these gross worm things that want to eat your dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and so those of the soldiers, I guess that's the final um, turn of the screw in terms of Kurt's his uh, being unhinged is watching his men get blown up when this yeah. thing does a suicide mission. Yeah. But as he pointed out, this is the worst run special forces unit in the world. Yeah. Because nobody responds to any direct orders no. they're given. We hear Kurtz tell a new guy, like, we are the best of the best, the uh, gold star. We don't take any crap. What what you hear is what you do, this, that, and the other. Right. And then nobody does what the fuck We're never given any impression that any of these people have any special set of skills because they're routinely getting killed. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those, we're the very best oops. Well, except for that guy. Well, except we for are that the guy. Very be- oh, no, but, that guy kind of disobeyed yeah. orders directly. And so, yeah, that scene works up until the moment when he says, Pull your helicopter away from the spaceship. No, I got him. I got him. Like, who yeah, does well, that? You can't do that. Like, yeah, does you're not respond fired. to direct command <laughs> yeah. from a colonel by going, ah, I got it. You know, I can do it. It's, so uh, yeah. Owen busts Henry out and they go looking for dead ends. They know for whatever reason, for whatever reason, that dead ends is maybe the key to saving everything because they remember, oh, that's what he meant when he said, it's a A or whatever Mr. it was. Mr. Gay. Mr. Gay. Mr. Gay. Mr. Gay. Mr. Gay. Was Mr. Gray. I'm so sorry, everyone. And then we have the second wildest Donnie Wahlberg performance of all time. <laughs> yeah. So you know how he's the strung out dude in the sixth sense? Hey, guys, did you know that that was Donnie Wahlberg? Because I didn't for years and years and years. Um, the one that... Spoiler alert for The Sixth Sense. Does, in fact, kill Bruce Willis at the end of the movie or at the beginning of the movie? Um, 
So he's in this. He is balding because he has significantly uh, advanced cancer. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at that. It just occurred to me that in his early performances, Donnie Wahlberg spent more time in his underwear than Mark Wahlberg did. It's true. He was trying to get some of that spotlight (laughs) back. Um, Where are they Calvin Klein? What is happening? So odd. Uh, They say, what's what's wrong with him? He's got significantly advanced cancer. Uh (laughs) During which, in a remarkable scene, his mother gives him up to these guys saying, yeah, First of all, take him out to die. I <laughs> would wager that that is not his mom, mom, uh-huh. because I'm going to say it again in case mm-hmm. you missed it earlier. Duddits is an alien. Right. His mother is not an alien. His mother is a human being. So his caretaker. And yes, beyond we haven't seen you in years. Uh-huh. Apparently, Deditz has been saying that they're going to come and he's going to go. And he's a grown person. Like, right. Regardless of his mental capacity or anything else, he's an adult who has made his wishes known. Yeah. So, yes, she's going to let him go. Also, I think she knows that he's at well, the end anyway. She says that, yeah. you know. And so I'm thinking, well, mother or caregiver, I'm not sure. Maybe it was unclear. I assume that it was his mother. Was the idea that, well, he's going to go dine now. Goodbye. Yeah. Here's your lunchbox. Doing what you love. Right? Yes. <laughs> Saving the world. <laughs> so like this, this movie now has gotten to the point where we can't, we have all sorts of characters to introduce. Mm-hmm. We're given the barest the outline, barest outline yeah. of what these characters yeah. are. And then we rush on to the next scene because there's a lot of climax to cover in this yes. movie. And so they... Duddits knows where they're going, or they figure out where they're going. Like, what makes the most sense? He's going to try and infect the water supply. They meet up there, and then it's Jonesy versus Duddits. Right. Except at in the fight scene, do they, does Grace separate from Jonesy? Yes, he yes, does. Yes, he does. We he see like, that, and separates. I'm not sure exactly where. I'm wondering. Oh, he has to, I think, to lay the eggs, right? Because right. he's got eggs, or a egg. And I, I, for my, want to know where um, Mr. Gray, or where uh, Jonesy came out of Mr. Gray? His butt. I'm just, this seems to be the or theme of the junk. film. Or his junk. It's always his butt or his junk. That That's is the answer kind of to the every question. Uh, and then Mr. Gray and Duddits fights. And we then we find out what Duddits really looks like. And he looks kind of like a gummy bear from the cartoons. Gummy bears. It's like, at the last moment, we're going to have a Harryhausen film where monsters are fighting. Only they're really ugly and weird looking, and they're not. He looks like. Yes, Battle of the Gummy Bears. It's yeah. like okay, it's a Flintstone gummy that got mashed under the sofa for a while. Yes, and is all flat in the strangest places. Have you seen the Gummy Bears cartoon? It just uh, reminds me of the Gummy I, Bears, I did not know there was specifically the thing. big gray one. Oh, we're gonna watch a little oh, bit. No, of no, later. no, 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 no! I had to watch um, Clueless. Don't make me watch a Gummy Bear cartoon. It's. Ten minutes of your life. Yes, ten minutes. I can't get back. You liked Clueless. You said you wanted to watch it again. Don't do that. Don't do me like that. That's rude. Uh, Duddy or Duddits makes a like a like a force field around the two of them, and then and then hugs Mister Gray to death. (laughs) I think is what happens with the the power of his light inside of him. I Duddits. That's right. He says, I did it. And then they all say, I did it. And then Mr. Gray is foiled. And then there's one tiny worm and it's going towards the hole. And then... I'm trying to find another way of phrasing that. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's what this film is about. It's about reproduction. It's about endometriosis. It's about 
uh, you know, explosive diarrhea. It's about all the biological functions, all of them. <laughs> and uh, and Henry's looking at Jonesy like, is he an alien or is he Jonesy? And then Jonesy steps on the alien, smooshes it. Right. And then they know it's Jonesy. Phew. And fortunately, the one that Henry said was his best friend, Jonesy, Jonesy and Henry, best friends. Beaver, Beaver and Pete, peripheral friends. They're the ones that died. <laughs> we should have just started the movie with them in a red shirt, the two of them. Yes, know. a little bit. He's uh, with the away team. Why is he wearing that shirt? So that's the end. So, um, all right. I don't know. You were so sad when it ended. Because you had to watch it for two hours and 11 minutes. <laughs> um, what, what is your feeling about this film? Okay, look. It's exploitative. <laughs> that's, what, that's my feeling about it. Just because Stephen King releases a book does not mean oh. you have to make it into a film. Right. Like, I feel like they optioned this film before it was, or this book before it was released. They were like, we're going to get the first book that he finishes after his after his accident, and we thought we might never get another Stephen King yeah. book, so this is going to be gold. So they optioned it, and then they got it, and they were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> how are we going to, but, but how are we going to, though? And then they were like, well, we'll hire two of the best writers in Hollywood, and that should do it. No, y'all, sometimes you just can't make a good movie out of not great source material that doesn't need to be put on film. Some movies... Or some books don't need to be made into movies. I just, I think that, as I said before, had it been made with really low expectations, given who made it, had it been made with... A it made its money back, so right. it's not a flop. Well, this, which is really weird, because I know that Wikipedia page is insisting that it was a, a failure, but it's like, no, it made its money back. It made so its, its money back, and then some. Its budget was $68 million. It mm. brought in $75 million at the box office. Right. That is a successful film. And I, I, I don't understand why people are insisting that it was a failure, because it, it no, a failure doesn't make its no, money back. it was bad. It John was, Seal was the cinematographer for this movie. <laughs> um, okay, and let's talk about that. In every aspect of production, it's actually very good. It is, it is very not good. a chintzy cheap nope. movie. The cast is the great. The cast is exceptional. I think that the movie. I think the effects were right. overall quite good. I think the issue with the movie is that, for one thing, it it was adapted really badly. It was just a very clumsy structure. We're flashback on top of flashback on top of. But that's how this, it's written. I know, and you have to find a different way because it's not a novel; it's a movie. Um, the other, I, it almost makes me feel like. Parts Do you were, think they should have done a half an hour as these kids, as kids? Possibly, they could have done it where. And then. We focus on on Duddens and. Oh, I should say uh -huh. now, Jonesy got hit by a car. Um, at the beginning, right, and almost died. Yeah. That's kind of an important thing. So he said that he saw Duddens the way that they met him, mm -hmm. bleeding. And naked, basically, right. um, gesturing for him to come come to him. So that is why he just went into traffic without looking and got hit by this car. And they believe that the reason that he was immune, as far as he was, not only because of his mental warehouse, but right. to the parasite, was because he had died. Died, which is, you And know, come back to life, which means that Duddits killed him. 
in order to save the world. I would is... like to think that um, when he was hit by the car, he had a metal plate put into his head, and that's the other You know that's what happened, because that's what always happens. The metal plate does it. Uh, so, so yeah, I, just the Deadit's character. Is so problematic. Just Deeply, deeply problematic. It's um, dumb boys are problematic, but they're mm. like they're just they're dumb boys, right. and and none of these guys are like rapists, right? Like that's not their issue. It's just that they're a little bit stunted in their growth, um, and bad at their jobs. But the use of a mentally handicapped person uh-huh. as the as the avatar for this alien just sucks. It just yeah. sucks. And that's why I don't think you could even remake it because you'd have to, cha- you'd have to fundamentally just change the character. And it is yeah. so ingrained in it the story. Been, this is a film, like you said, it should not have been made. No. It, it, it just, but no like way I said, of... I think they just, they optioned it and they were right. like, well, we're making it now because we fucking paid for it. I feel so. like there was something else that we don't know. Like the film was extensively re-edited in, and it just wound up kind of a jumble. I don't. There's something about it that feels so disconnected and so wrong, or there's a lot of missing footage to it. Nick um, LaSalle, a man I do not like. Oh no, don't like that guy. <laughs> Did sum up the film as a likable disaster, which I think is not wrong. If you you don't like it because you have a lot of issues around the body, or right. and the the germiness and the grossness of it that is unappealing to yeah. you. But I did also feel, as I said, that the characters are supposed to be older, that there was just another step where I felt these well, were talented just, actors doing a bit, yeah, not necessarily. I didn't feel like they were real people. It's That is a problem with mm-hmm. aging writers writing younger people right. without the input of younger people. Right? Yeah. He's making references that he would have made when he was 33. Except he was 33 20 years before these guys are 33. Yeah. Right? Like, And that's just... That's an editing issue. I, frankly, I think that's an editing issue. I think Stephen King can absolutely write that the way that he has written it. But uh-huh. I need his editor to come in and be like, hey, these references are a little old for the characters so that you're the writing. Characters are so either age? it's 20 years right. ago, yeah, which is fine, because this is... Pre- the, the, if it's pre-cell phone, it's fine. Yeah. You, it's all one time. Just make it 20 years earlier. Yeah. It's it's not a big deal. This movie could have absolutely taken place 20 years previously. Yeah. Or 10 years previously would even have probably been fine if they were the youngest in their families and they're, they're, they had older siblings. Yeah. That skews your references. But th- we've reached a period in Stephen King's... Uh, repertoire and his uh-huh. career where his editors no longer edit him. Yes, and, and that's he's a okay with it. And that is like a big bummer because frankly every good writer needs a good editor. It's important. Just because someone is popular and a good storyteller does not mean that they know 100% what should be on the page and what shouldn't be on the page. Yeah. And when you write a thousand page book you you don't want to cut any of that because I wrote a thousand pages, so I'm going to need people to read the thousand pages that I wrote. Well, but sometimes no. you don't make the best choices about your own work. No, of and I not. think that it's something that I do with you is I go, does this work? 
And I think that it's always important to have that other yeah. person telling you whether something's working or not. And Stephen King hasn't for many years yeah. had an editor that was truly editing his work. They're copy editing for sure, uh-huh. but they're not doing comprehensive It felt very much, yeah. Editing. As if they're saying, it's a Stephen King novel, so despite the fact that this has the most reused material, recycled material. Yeah. That's what it felt like. A Stephen King book or film made of all recycled materials. Yeah, it had Langoliers feelings right. to it. It had, yeah. Again, Stand By Me. It, it was re- He's referencing himself and his and work... And he references himself a lot. Yeah, but his work takes another turn after this. I think this is kind of... Um, well, and once again, right. he's writing in fits and starts. Right. He's in a lot of pain and he's high on oxy. But, I mean, these are not... Through no fault of his, these right. are not things that are conducive to writing good work. No. It, they just aren't. The fact that he got a book written and published at all is a fucking miracle. No, but with some, we're reading his therapy sessions, you know? We don't, <laughs> we don't need to... There is also that, yeah. That, where it's that like, kind of thing we're reading about his comeback. Write and maybe, it, right. but we don't need to publish it. No, we don't need to publish <laughs> this it. This could be we, a drawer book. I think that you think... Not you, but uh, let's say if you were an artist, you'd think that the song you wrote for your your newborn is adorable and you want to sing it to the world and it makes no sense to the world just to your newborn. Just to you, yeah. So there's that kind of element to it. This is how I worked through months and months and months of being in a sickbed and it's not going to be something that will make sense to other people. It's the kind of thing that you put in a drawer that you scavenge elements of it for your other work but not something that you put out there the way it is. But he was Stephen King, and uh, he's got bills to pay, he's got mouths to feed, or it's just, again, as you said, somebody bought it going, this is this could have been his last book. Yeah, no, he, he yeah, it just, it, it wasn't. It wasn't necessary at all. Right. Now, I'm not saying anything about, like, I love Stephen King. Yeah. I do. I love his work. That's why we're spending a year talking right. about it. But like, yeah, it's really, it's problematic. It's very, But big. I think that honestly, to see the stuff, the adaptations after that, there's a turn that gets taken where there's less of the stock characters. There's less of the other stuff. When I've seen the things that he's done since then, there's time travel stories. There's other things that seem to take a, a have a different take than some of the earlier stuff. This might be a dividing line for him. So, yeah, so that's, you could give this one a miss. Plus, we had to pay for it. It was a real bummer. Right. It's not streaming for free anywhere, so go watch other movies with these people in it. (laughs) There's so many good movies that we're going to cover a really great Stephen King movie, um, although I understand a lot of people have feelings about it uh, with Thomas Jane. Yes, we'll get to that Um, in a few weeks. Or see another Donnie Wahlberg movie, The Sixth Sense. There you go. Spoiler alert. Great movie, though. Okay. So next week, uh-huh. you know what we're watching next week? What? Johnny Depp. Secret Window. Secret Window. Okay, which is almost a play, as I remember. It is almost a play. It is based uh-huh. on the story Secret Window, Secret Garden. Right. Uh, so that is from 2004, and that is what we will be watching next week. We got it on a DVD set. I don't know how else it's available. I'll put it in the show notes uh, if I can find it anywhere else. Yep, so that's Dreamcatcher. In the meantime... If you don't want to watch Dreamcatcher, and please don't, what would you like 
to recommend to our listeners who um, are cooped up and would love some recommendations. Which is a television show that we haven't finished, but we've started. What's that? And the name of it just escaped me, um, which is also based on Stephen King. Oh, do you want to? Okay. Yeah, we've started watching The Outsider from uh, H- on HBO. We're cheating a little. We will be talking about The Outsider in December. Right. But I wanted to watch it now. Yes. <laughs> Before the internet spoiled it for me. So it's The Outsider that, that you wanted to talk about? Well, that's, uh, and I won't go into much detail about it. I like a kind of a supernatural story that plays very close to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one does that. It does play very close. It's almost a procedural, and then We're it starts tipping over. Three episodes, four, three yeah. or four episodes into the ten episode arc, um, is based on a novel. And I'll have more. We'll have more to say. A to recent it. novel, right? Yeah, and we, yes, we'll talk about it. In it has. I like the characters so far. Right. I love the presentation. Right. So I if will, you want to get a head yeah. start on December's ep- episodes, The Outsider. It's on HBO. It's yeah. Not. I don't believe it's included in the stuff that HBO is giving away for free, but if you have HBO Now or HBO Go, then it is available to you in its entirety. It aired earlier this year, but it is done now. I'm trying to think of what I've been watching. Uh, Yeah, I have been binging Nurse Jackie. It's it's a Showtime television show. It's available for free on Netflix now. Um, It's a black comedy sitcom, 30-minute episodes, starring Edie Falco as a drug-addicted nurse and uh, a bunch of other people. And I started watching it because a few weeks ago I mentioned um, Unbreakable. Nope. Uh Unbelievable. Unbelievable. With Merritt Weaver, and I wanted to watch more things with Merritt Weaver in them, and she is in this show. So I started watching it because of that, because I wanted to just see more of her. She's very compelling to me, and I was like, more please. Uh, and she's great in it. Totally different than she was in Unbelievable, like completely different. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm three. Two, I'm in the third season. Almost done with the third season. Right. It's very quick to like. You can watch a lot of it. Well, they're very it's short episodes. Twenty eight minutes per episode. So, yeah, I go through like three at a time. And uh, if you like dark comedy, it's really good. Okay. And I never. Well, like, I'd heard you, of it before, but I, I'd it never tells you watched what direction it. it's going in. If you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, give us a shout at latecomerspod at gmail.com or on mm-hmm. Twitter at latecomerspod. You could find us on Facebook, Facebook. by searching Latecomers Podcast. Mm-hmm. I remind you, take your medicine, wash your hands, don't touch your face, don't and touch stay your inside. Face. And we remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.